The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came, to, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." The Gospel of the Lord. We've come to the end of our series, Who Do You Think You Are? And so the central theme of this whole pulpit series has been when you know who you are, you will know what to do. So let's quickly review where we've been. So week one, if you are a Christian, you are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing regular about you. You are the highest ranking diplomat sent by God from the kingdom of heaven to earth. Week number two, if you are a Christian, you are God's masterpiece and you are created for the master's purpose. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And the underlying thought uh, throughout that message was that God does not create junk. Week number three, if you are a Christian, you are an overcomer. Romans 8.37 says, you are more than a conqueror. You are hupanakeu, more than a conqueror. Never poised for failure with a victim mindset, but poised for strength with an overcoming attitude. Week number four, if you are a Christian, you are salt and light. You are a Christ-empowered influencer and a divine change agent. Now I've just used the word Christian several times in my introduction, in my review. So what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Really depends on who you ask, doesn't it? And to what interpretation you get back. One person's response to that question uh, what do you think when you hear the word Christian? Might be, it, I think it's someone whose life has been transformed by Christ. But if you ask another person, they might say, I think it's someone who's a deceived idiot and who has an imaginary friend called God. It all depends on who you ask. If you ask someone again, another person might say it's a person who is very loving, a person who's forgiving, a person who's very generous, a person like Christ. Someone else will say, oh, no, 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 no. They're judgmental, they're hypocritical, they're narrow-minded, they're legalistic. So what do you think of when you hear the word or the name Christian? Some would say, they are known for their love. They are known for their compassion. They are known for their faithfulness and their integrity. Others would say Christians are known for what they're against. And they're against everything that's fun. And, all, and, and, and most of all, 
They're against each other. <laughs> so what do you think of when you hear the name Christian? What is interesting is that Jesus never called people to be Christians. He never called people to be Christians. There's nothing wrong with the term. I use it all the time. But it means different things to different people. The fact is the phrase Christian was used in the first century to, as a derogatory term for those who were followers of Christ. It, it, it was the Greek word Christianos, Christianos, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. There in Antioch, the Lord's followers were first called Christianos, Christians. It was the non-believers of Antioch, which is modern-day Turkey today, that mocked the early disciples and called them Christianos, little Christs, or little imitators of Christ, which in many ways would have been a compliment but it was meant to be a mockery by those who used that term in Antioch. But when we think about it, Jesus never asked anyone to be a Christian. In his language, he asked them to be something else. Jesus called people to be his disciples. Matthew 9.9, 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at, a ta- at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. And be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus didn't say, would you be a Christian? Jesus didn't say, would you go to church? Jesus didn't say, would you follow a set of moral rules? What Jesus said, would you be my disciple? That's what he said. Would you leave where you are and follow me? Now, the Greek word translated disciple is uh, mathetes, mathetes. It means a learner, means a pupil, it means a disciple, it means a follower. So here's the big idea. Jesus never said, be a Christian. He said, be a learner. He said, be a pupil. He said, be a disciple. He said, be a follower. In other words, Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is to live like I live. I want you to love like I love. I want you to do as I do. Follow me. Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to just believe what I believe, but I'm asking you to live what I live. So let's do it together. Jesus is not inviting you and me into a belief system. He's not inviting you, inviting you and me into a political uh, persuasion, into his, his own political persuasion, or to join an organisation. Jesus is inviting us to be part of a movement. Jesus is inviting us to be part of a revolution. He is inviting us to live as he lived, and to love as he loved, and to do what he did. Because you are not and have not joined a church group or an organization. You have joined a movement. You have joined a revolution. And Jesus invites us to follow him as his disciples. So our initial question becomes more relatable. Our initial question becomes more relevant, more applicable and more important. Who do you think you are? Those of you 
who have met Christ. You have been transformed. You have been forgiven. Your old life is gone. Your new life has come. And you are filled with the Spirit of God. You are an ambassador. You are a masterpiece. You are an overcomer. You are salt and light. So who do you think you are? When you know who you are, you will know what to do. You are a disciple a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not just a Christian or whatever that means to be a Christian that the world calls a Christian. You are a disciple. You are someone who lives like Jesus lives. You are someone who loves like Jesus loves. You are someone who does what Jesus does because your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You are, the, you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you know who you are, you will know what to do. Firstly, as a disciple, you find a need and you meet it. You find a need and you meet it. Jesus shares a story about a man who had been robbed, the Good Samaritan story in Luke 10, 25 to 37. He was beaten, he was stripped naked, he was left half dead on the roadside. And so a priest comes along. He would be, in modern day, he would be like a a pastor in Jesus' days. And he ignores him and he walks straight by. The next person who comes along is a Levite. He would be like a staff member of a church today. Again, ignores, walks straight by. Then along comes a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds. They were considered half-caste people. Let's pick up the story, Luke chapter 10. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. Bandaged up, his wound, bandaged up his wounds, poured oil and wine, pouring, in on, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. said, look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus said and turned to his disciples and to the religious leaders, go and do likewise. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. You are a disciple. And as a disciple, we need to go and do likewise. So you're going to love how Jesus loved. You're going to do what Jesus did. And you're going to live as Jesus lived. But so often, I can be like the priest and the Levi. I see a need and I try to look the other way. If I'm driving down the road and there's someone who's pulled over fixing a flat tyre, do I stop and help them? In my life, I can count on one hand the number of times that I've stopped to help someone change out a tyre. It's the same when I'm downtown and there's a homeless guy begging in a doorway. Do I avoid eye contact with them and walk straight by? Many times, yes. So I wonder why we don't meet these needs. I don't think it's because we're bad. I don't think it's because we're uncaring people. But I do think it's because we're busy. 
at Princeton University, there was a sociological experiment done using undergraduate theological students as subjects. And the students were told that the, that, that the study was the study that they were engaging in was uh, concerning their ability to think quickly on their feet in preparation for public speaking. That was the, that was the assignment that they were engaging in. And the subject, of, uh, the subject of the message was the Good Samaritan stories from, from Luke chapter 10. Now the catch was each student was told that they had five minutes to get to the lecture hall to preach their message that they had prepared. And while all were told they had five minutes to get to the lecture hall, which was the time that it took from, to go from building A to building B, which was the lecture hall was in, some were told, there's no need to rush. You have plenty of time up your sleeve. Others were told, you'd better hurry up. You're five minutes late already. While others were told, if you leave now, you should just make it. Now, here is what the organisers of the experiment did. They planted a man who purposely looked like a homeless person, hunched over, and he was on the same pathway that the students would have had to take to get from building A to building B. And when the individual students approached, the planted homeless man uh, was instructed to cough loudly twice and then groan. Basically, these theological students had to step over the homeless bloke to get to where they were going to preach their sermon on the Good Samaritan. How many theological students do you think stopped to help the homeless bloke? Three quarters? Half? A quarter? Worked out to one in ten. Ten percent stopped to help the bloke uh, that they were preaching about. Only one in ten stopped. Why is that? It was because they were busy. They were busy. They were trying to get to the lecture hall to speak a message they failed to understand. They weren't bad people. They weren't evil people. They were just too busy and too preoccupied. As Jesus' disciples, we find needs... And we meet those needs. This is what Jesus did. Jesus was having a meal with his disciples. He found out that no one had washed their feet when they came into the room. And this was very, a very important custom in ancient times. So Jesus gets down on his knees with a bowl of water and a towel wrapped around his waist. And Jesus washes their feet. He washes all of those men's feet. Jesus found a need and he met it. Another time as Jesus was with his disciples and the disciples were out fishing, he, had, he was on the beach. John chapter 21 verse 9. Jesus knew that they would be hungry. So Jesus, the Son of God, makes a charcoal fire and cooks fish and bread and serves it to the disciples. He found a need and he met it. So as followers, as learners, as pupils of Jesus... That is what we are called to do. It's not up to the pastor to meet the needs and fulfill the church's mission. It's not up to the leaders of the church to meet all the needs that are presented. If God shows you a need, if God puts someone or something on your heart as a disciple, as a follower, as a learner, as a pupil of Jesus, he is calling you to meet the need. If you need help, and need to recruit, well, fantastic, let us know. But it is you that God has called to be the point person. If you 
are indeed called. He has put something on your heart. This is finding a need and meeting it and stepping out from behind the Sunday church experience. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. You are a disciple. Matthew 10, 42 says, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. And here is the great news this morning, beloved. When you find needs you and you meet them, when you find needs and you meet them, there is a reward coming for you. And the need could be as simple as giving a cup of cold water. It could be as simple as saying hello. It could be as simple as saying please. It could be as simple as saying thank you. It's about just meeting a simple need to encourage somebody. And as a disciple of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we're going to find a need and we're going to meet it. Number two, as a disciple... We're going to find a hurt and we're going to heal it. Matthew 9, 35 to 36, Jesus went on to all the towns and cities. He taught in their places of worship. He preached the good news of the holy nation of God. He healed every sickness and disease the people had. As he saw many people, he had loving pity on them. He had compassion on them. Another Bible verse says Jesus healed the bruised and the hurt lives. Jesus didn't just raise the dead and heal the sick, although he did all that, that was very important. But Jesus spoke and and acted in such a way that he healed their bruised and hurt lives. Jesus got underneath all the hurts. He got underneath all the sin and got into their lives. A great example of this was the woman who was being accused of adultery in John chapter 8. All of her accusers stood over her, about to throw stones at her as they crowded, as they cowered, as she cowered on the ground, waiting for the strike of that first rock and imminent death. Jesus stepped into the middle of that situation. He said, Those of you without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, they all dropped their stones and left. Jesus defended her. John chapter 8 says, Jesus straightened up and said, asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus found a hurt, he stepped into it, and he healed it. There's, uh, then there's the situation with Peter, uh, one who, one, one, who, who was one of Jesus' most loyal disciples and yet denied him three times. A man who walked with Jesus and saw Jesus perform miracles and wonders and signs. And Jesus would have been within his rights just to write Peter off, just to write him off, kick him to the curb. But after the resurrection, Jesus restored Peter. And when Jesus found Peter, he spoke words of compassion and belief. 
Jesus restored Peter, gave him back his worth, gave him back his dignity. Jesus found a hurt. He took Peter's rejection and believed in him and told him, you are an overcomer. You are a masterpiece. You are my disciple. So as disciples of Jesus, we're going to find a hurt and we're going to heal them. It's something as simple as caring and loving. Simple as that. It's something as simple as listening and praying and just helping someone. So as disciples of Christ, there are hurts all around us. We don't need to go to a third world country to find the hurt. If we, if, if, if we don't heal the hurt, who will? Who will heal the hurt? If we don't step into the situation, who will? If we don't offer hope and the light of life, who will? Will the government? Will, corporate, will the corporate world do that for us? As disciples of Jesus, that's what we are called to do. We find hurts and we heal them. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So as disciples of Jesus, we're going to find a need and we're going to meet it. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to find a hurt and we're going to heal it. So thirdly, we're going to do a whole bunch of other things that Jesus has asked us to do that don't fit neatly into a point on a PowerPoint page, okay? <laughs> as Jesus' disciples, we're called to love as Jesus loved. Not just to love the lovable and the lovely, but also the unlovely and the unlovable. We're called to that. We're called to do what Jesus did and we're called to live as Jesus lived. John chapter 10 verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. As disciples, you are going to listen to the voice of God as he leads and directs your life. I can remember the man who led me to the Lord and helped me pray a prayer of repentance. And after we prayed and we finished our cup of coffee, he made a statement which I have never forgotten. He said verbatim, he said, Neil, God has put his finger on your life. What you do from this point on is very important. And he began to explain to me that I had signed up for the most important adventure of my life. An adventure that would last my whole life. And that's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's not about churchianity. You're not just here as a regular Christian. You are not a regular Christian who goes to church and believes moral things and, in, and warms a seat in a big room. You are not that. Let's look at the first century disciples, Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the beach or beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. The scriptures tell us that they dropped everything to follow Jesus. They didn't wait to put all their household goods on eBay first. 
They dropped everything and followed Jesus. What about the widow who comes to church and gave to God? She gave everything she had, her too much. She gave it all to God. Then there's Zacchaeus who was a notorious tax collector and a sinner. Jesus goes to his house and takes account of Zacchaeus and loves on him. And Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Christ. And then he says these transformative and adventurous words. He says, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. When you are a disciple of Jesus, he's going to talk to you. He's going to impress things on your heart and it's up to you to do what he says. It's not up to me to do it. It's not up to Giselle to do it. It's up to you to do it. It's up to you to take the point position. If God places someone on your heart, you call them up. You see how they're going. You take point position because God moved and spoke to you because you are a disciple. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. You are a disciple. You can make a difference in people's lives. You are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. You are an ambassador of Christ, God's highest ranking diplomat sent from heaven to earth. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are not becoming a disciple. You are a disciple. You are a disciple. Christ lives inside of you. He empowers you. He will give you the words to say. He gives you the the compassion and the ability to speak speak into someone's life and make a difference for eternity. I read this story on the internet and I printed it out. In 2001, I've used it several times. It's called the Tracts. There was a little old lady who attended a small church on the outskirts of a large city. The woman never learned to read and most of the congregation knew it. Every Sunday after service, the woman would walk over to the shelf of Tracts and help herself to several. Some of the vestry were getting rather upset with her. After all, she couldn't read and that cost good church money. It was the treasurer, I think. Then they went to the pastor and told them that he needed to confront the woman about about taking these tracks every Sunday. The pastor was hesitant, but he went to visit the woman. The conversation eventually got round to the tracks and the woman told the pastor she lived close to the business area of the city and she noticed that every afternoon at lunchtime, the executives, the executives would come and sit on the park benches and eat their lunch and read their newspapers. And she would sit alongside one or two of the gentlemen and she would take out a tract and tell them that she was unable to read and said, would you mind reading the tract to, to me? She would then ask them questions about the tract and the men would go back through the tract and find the answers for her. Then she would ask It says to be saved that I have to accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. Have you ever done that? 
And that began their conversions. Turns out that this lady won more people to Jesus than anyone in her church. She believed that God used her weaknesses to bring people to the Lord. Hers was an ability not to read. She was not militant. She wasn't in your face. No one at her church even knew what she was doing. A lot of people would suggest because of that, she was not on fire for the Lord. I think this woman was the most awesome woman and her heart is ablaze. When was the last time we humbled ourselves and let God use our weaknesses to lead people to him? Just like the story that I've read out, it doesn't always make sense to those around you when Jesus asks you to do something. It doesn't always make sense when you depart from what is normal or what is acceptable. But the big idea is this. We don't live for the approval of men. We're not living to please others. We are living for the approval of God, our Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. He is the one we are here to serve. He is the one we are here to please. We are disciples. We are followers. We are pupils. And our lives are not our own. They belong to Jesus. You are his disciple, beloved. You just, don't, you, just, you, you just don't believe what he says. You do what he did. And you love how he loved. And you strive to make a difference in this world. So let me close and let me ask this one question. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to find a need and meet it. We're going to find a hurt and we're going to heal it. We're going to do a whole host of other things that don't neatly fit into a point on a PowerPoint page. Because our lives are not our own. We belong to Jesus. I love this story. And I was told this story, but... I can't remember who told me the story, so it, 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 it ended up into the lost and found story box. And if this is your story, come and collect it after the service, okay? <laughs> the story's of a, a missionary girl who was in a very poor part of the world, and she was ministering to and trying to help a man who was left for dead in the gutter. And as she was ministering to him, a wealthy businessman visiting that part of the world saw the missionary girl helping the man in the gutter. And the problem was that the man's wounds on his body had turned septic and there was this horrific, nauseating stench coming from him. So the businessman watched in horror as this young lady doctored his wounds. As the businessman turned away, he said to the girl, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she paused and she looked up at him and said, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either. But I would do it for the one who gave his life for me. I would do this for Jesus. Because when you know who you are and who he is, you will know who you are. And your life is not your own then you will want to do more than anything else to live for him and to love like he loved and to live like he lived. 
So before us all is the challenge of being a follower. Before us all this morning is the challenge of being a pupil, of being a disciple of Christ. To find a need, and in the name of Jesus, we meet it. To find a hurt, and in the name of Jesus, we heal it. And there, are, there is a whole host of other things that Jesus is going to ask us to do that other people will not understand. But guess what? You're a disciple of Jesus and you live for him. Please stand with me. And as you stand and as you bow your heads and just quiet your hearts, let us pray. Father, we ask that this truth be driven deep into our souls. God, I pray for those who are Christians. They do belong to you. They are a disciple, but they have been distracted by this life. But they are here today and they want to realign themselves to your will. Lord, it's not about going to church or believing a certain way. It's about loving how you loved, Lord. And it's about living how you lived. God, I pray that you would use us. Give us the needs to meet. Whether it's serving this church or meeting a family's needs. Help us to find a hurt so that we can heal it. Help us be a disciple in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.